The Mystical City of God, Book 1, Introduction. The Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus of Agreda, describes the sacramental mysteries wrought by Almighty God in the Blessed Virgin Mary. Book 1 covers from the time of her Immaculate Conception until the incarnation of the Word in her virginal womb. This is a disclosure of how much merit the Blessed Virgin Mary herself acquired through divine grace, by profiting from the favors conferred upon her during those first fifteen years of her life. In this introduction, the Venerable Sister Mary of Jesus explains the reason for writing City of God, and the circumstances she found herself in when writing these books. 1. I should not be astonished to hear myself condemned as audacious foolhardy and presumptuous by any person who will begin to realize, if realized it can be, that I, a simple woman, who is of herself but sheer weakness and ignorance and who is, on account of her sins, most unworthy, has resolved and attempted to write of divine and supernatural things. This condemnation will be the more justified in these our present times, in which the Holy Church our Mother, is so abundantly supplied with teachers and holy men, so rich in doctrines of the Holy Fathers and doctors. In this our most opportune age, when even prudent and wise persons, full of holy zeal in the spiritual life are disturbed and troubled at the least mention of a higher life, looking upon visions and revelations as most suspicious and dangerous paths for the pursuit of Christian perfection. If no excuse can be found for such an enterprise in itself, or even for attempting things that are so far above and superior to what man can hope to compass, and so far beyond all human capacities, then we can only conclude that to undertake them is either a sign of perverse judgment or the result of an activity far surpassing all human power. 2. As faithful children of the Holy Church we must confess that all the mortals, not only with the use of all their natural powers, but with the simultaneous use of all the common and ordinary graces, are but incapable and, as it were, mute and ignorant weaklings for so difficult an undertaking, to explain and describe the hidden mysteries and magnificent sacraments, which the powerful arm of the Most High has wrought in that creature whom, as his mother, he has designed to be an immense ocean of grace and privilege, and the depository of the greatest treasures of the divinity. How incapable must our weakness acknowledge itself to be when even the angelic spirits confess that words fail them when attempting to describe that which is so far above their thoughts and capacities. The life of this phoenix among the works of God is a book so sealed up, that none is found among all the creatures of heaven and earth worthy to open it. Revelation 4-3. It is evident then, that only the powerful Lord can unseal it, he who made her more perfect than all the creatures, or she herself, the mistress, our queen and mother, who was worthy to receive and properly to appreciate her ineffable gifts. It is in her power to select suitable instruments, and such as for her glory seem capable of manifesting these gifts in the proportion, at the time and in the manner serviceable to her only begotten Son. 3. I would willingly maintain that these instruments can be no other than the teachers and learned saints of the Catholic Church or the doctors of the schools, who have all taught the way of truth and life. But the thoughts and the judgments of the Most High are exalted as much above our own as heaven is exalted above the earth, and no one knows his mind and no one can counsel him in his works, 
Romans 11:34. He it is that holds the scales of the sanctuary in his hands, Revelation 6:5, and who weighs the winds, Job 28:25, who grasps in his hands all the orbs, Isaiah 40:12, and who, by the equity of his most holy counsels, disposes of all things with weight and measure, Wisdom 11:21, assigning to each one opportune time and place. He dispenses the light of wisdom, Sirach 24:37, and by his most equitable bounty he distributes it, and no one can ascend to the heavens to draw it down, Baruch 3:29, or fetch it from the clouds, or know its ways or investigate the hidden paths thereof, Baruch 3:31. He alone observes it as it is in itself, and transfuses it as the vapor and emanation of his immense charity, Wisdom 7:25 as the brightness of His eternal light, as the flawless reflection and image of His eternal bounty, through holy souls among the nations in order to make them friends of the Most High and constitute them as prophets, Wisdom 7:27. The Lord alone knows why and for what purpose He thus prepared me, the last of His creatures, why He thus called and raised me obliged and compelled me to write the life of His Most Holy Mother our Queen and Lady. 4. It is beyond the prudent surmise of any man that, without this influence and power of the Most High, the thought of such a work should enter into a human heart, or such an enterprise should take shape in my mind. For I acknowledge and confess myself to be a weak woman, wanting in all virtue, therefore it should be far from my thoughts to approach such a work, but equally as far from me to refuse it on my own account. In order that a just estimate may be had in this matter I will mention in simple truth something about what happened to me regarding this history. 5. In the eighth year after the foundation of this convent, at the age of twenty-five, obedience imposed upon me the office which I unworthily hold at the present day, namely to be the abbess of this convent. I found myself troubled sorrowful and discouraged, because neither my age nor my inclinations were such as are requisite for governing and commanding, but they were rather such as befitted one who should be governed and obey. I knew as well that in order to invest me with this office a dispensation had been obtained. On account of these and other just reasons, the terrors with which the Most High has crucified me during all my life were much augmented. In addition to that God left me in dreadful doubt whether I was on the secure path or whether I should obtain or lose his friendship and grace. 6. In this tribulation, I cried to the Lord with all my heart that he help me, and if it be his will, that I should be freed from this danger and burden. Although it is true that the Lord had prepared me some time beforehand and commanded me to accept the office, and although when I tried to excuse myself on account of my lack of courage, he always consoled me and reiterated his command, I nevertheless did not cease my petitions, but rather augmented them. For I perceived and understood in the Lord that, although he showed this to be his holy will, which I could not hinder, yet I was aware at the same time that he left me free to retire and resist, and if I wished, to act according to my weakness as a creature and in the consciousness of my total insufficiency. Such is the prudence of the Lord in His dealings with men. Relying on this kindness of the Lord, I increase my efforts to be relieved from this evident danger, which is so little estimated by our human nature with its bad habits and disorderly passions.
The Lord, however, repeated continually that it was His will and He consoled me, admonishing me through His holy angels to obey. 7. I fled in this affliction to our Queen and Lady as to my only refuge in all troubles, and after I had manifested to her my way of life and my desire she deigned to answer me in these sweetest of words. My daughter, console yourself and do not be disturbed in your heart on account of this labor. Prepare yourself for it and I will be your mother and superior whom you shall obey, and the same I will be to your subjects. I will supplement your deficiencies and you shall be my agent, through whom the will of my Son and my God shall be fulfilled. In all your temptations and troubles you shall take refuge with me, confer about them with me, and take the advice which I will give you in all things. Obey me, and I will favor you and will continue to be attentive to your affliction. These were the words of the Queen, as consoling as they were soothing to my soul. From that day on, the Mother of Mercy multiplied her mercies toward me her slave, for she became more intimate with me and continued her intercourse with my soul, receiving me, listening to me, teaching me with ineffable condescension, giving me counsel and encouragement in my affliction, filling my soul with the light and knowledge of eternal life and commanding me to renew the vows of my profession in her presence. Finally this our most amiable mother and lady revealed herself still more fully to her slave, withdrawing the veil from the hidden sacraments and magnificent mysteries which are contained in her most holy life, though unknown to mortals. Although this blessed and supernatural light was uninterrupted and especially clear on her festival days, and on other occasions when I was instructed in many mysteries, yet it was not so full frequent and clear as that which was granted to me afterwards when she added the command that I write the history of her life according as Her Majesty herself should dictate and inspire me. Particularly on one of these festivals of the Most Holy Mary, the Most High God informed me that He had in reserve many hidden sacraments and blessings, which He had conferred upon His Heavenly Mother in the days of Her pilgrimage and that it was His intention to manifest them to me, in order that I might write them down according to Her guidance. This will of the Most High, though I resisted it, was continually present to my mind for the space of ten years, until I attempted the first writing of this divine history. 8. Consulting about my doubts with the holy princes and angels, whom the Most High had appointed to direct this work of writing the history of our Queen, and manifesting to them how great was my disturbance and affliction of heart and how stuttering and mute was my tongue for such an arduous task. They replied over and over again that it was the will of the Most High that I write the life of His most pure mother and our mistress. On one day especially, when I made many objections and declared to them my difficulties my incapability and great fears, they spoke to me. With good reason you fear and are disturbed, O soul. You doubt and hesitate in a matter where we angels ourselves would do the same considering ourselves unable to worthily describe the high and magnificent doings of the Almighty God in the Mother of Piety and our own Queen. But remember, dearest soul, that the firmament and the whole machinery of the world and all things created will sooner fail than the words of the Most High.
Many times he has promised to his creatures, and in the holy scriptures it is recorded that the obedient man shall speak of victories over his enemies and shall not be reprehensible in obeying. Proverb 21:28. And when he created the first man and gave him the command not to eat of the tree of knowledge, he established the virtue of obedience, and swearing he swore in order to give greater assurance to man. For the Lord has repeatedly given such an oath. For instance when he promised to Abraham that the Messiah should descend from his race, he added the assurance of an oath, Genesis 22:16. he did the same when he created the first man, assuring him that the obedient shall not err. He also repeated this oath, when he ordained that his most holy son should die, Luke 1:73. he gave a like assurance to men that they who should obey this second Adam, imitating him in obedience an obedience through which he restored what the first Adam lost through his disobedience. Now, they shall live forever and that the enemy shall have no part in them. Remember Sister Mary, that all obedience takes its rise from God as from its first and principal source, and we angels obey the power of his divine right hand and his most just will. We cannot contravene or ignore it, because we see the immutable being of God face to face and we perceive that his will is holy, pure and true, and most equitable and just. Now, this certainty which we angels possess through the beatific vision, you mortals also possess in its proper proportion as wayfarers through the words of the Lord concerning your prelates and superiors. He who hears you, hears me, and who obeys you, obeys me, Luke 20:16. Now, since obedience is rendered on account of God, who is the principal cause and who is the superior of all, it is befitting to his almighty providence that he take the consequences of obedience, whenever that which is commanded is not in itself sinful. Accordingly, the Lord assures us of these things by an oath, and he will sooner cease to exist than he will fail in his word, though both are impossible. Therefore, in the same way as the children proceed from their parents, and all the living from Adam, multiplied from his natural being in his posterity, so also all superiors are constituted by God as by the Supreme Lord on whose account we yield obedience to them, human beings to their living superiors, we angels to our higher hierarchies of the same nature, and all beings together, in their superiors, obey the eternal God. Remember now, that all of these have directed and commanded you to do the thing about which you still hesitate. If you now should begin to write by mistake, intending thereby to fulfill his commands in obedience, then the Most High would do with your pen the same as he did with the knife of Abraham when he was about to sacrifice his son Isaac, for on that occasion the Lord commanded one of us angels to withhold the arm and the knife. He did not thus command us to withhold your pen but has ordered us with lightest breath to speed it on, and while gazing on his majesty, we are to direct and assist you by illuminating your intellect. 9. Such encouragement and instruction my holy angels and lords gave me at this time. On many other occasions the Prince St. Michael informed me of the same wish and command of the Most High. By the continual enlightenment's favors and instructions of this great Prince, I have understood great sacraments and mysteries of the Lord and of the Queen of Heaven, for this angel was one of those who guarded and assisted her and who were delegated from the angelic choirs, as I will relate in its place. He is at the same time the general patron and protector of the Holy Church. 
He was a special witness and faithful minister of the mysteries of the Incarnation and Redemption. This I have often heard of Saint Michael himself, who showed me singular favors in my troubles and dangers, and has promised me his assistance and direction in this undertaking. 10. In addition to all this and other facts, which need not be mentioned here, and in addition to what I shall say farther on, the Lord has directly, in his own person, commanded and manifested to me his will many times, and in words which I shall presently repeat. One day, on the festival of the presentation of Most Holy Mary in the temple, he said to me, My spouse, many mysteries pertaining to my mother and the saints have been made manifest in the church militant. But many are still hidden, especially the interior secrets of their lives. These I now wish to make known. I desire you to put them down in writing according to how you are directed by the Most Pure Mary. I will reveal and explain them to you. For until now I have, according to the hidden designs of my wisdom, kept them in reserve. That is because the time for revealing them was not befitting or opportune to my providence. Now however it is. It is my will that you write. Obey me my soul. 11. All these facts which I have mentioned, and many more which I could mention, would not have been urgent enough to rouse my will to an enterprise so arduous and so foreign to my condition. If to them had not been added the motive of obedience to my superiors, who are set to govern my soul, and teach me the way of truth. For certainly my mistrusts and fears were not so unimportant as to permit me to come to a full decision without their commands in so great a matter, when in resolving upon others, also supernatural and vastly less difficult, I rely so much on the guidance of obedience. As an ignorant woman I have always sought this north star, for it is a duty incumbent on all to test all things, even though they seem to be most noble and excellent beyond suspicion, by the approbation of the teachers and ministers of the Holy Church. Such assurance I have been solicitous to procure for the direction of my soul, and more particularly in this undertaking of writing the life of the Queen of Heaven. I have frequently tried to prevent my superiors from being moved by any accounts of my interior experiences, disguising as much as I could, many things, and in tears begging the Lord to enlighten them and to fill them with mistrust against me, to watch over them lest they be deceived or lest they permit me to be deceived or misdirected. Many times I have desired that the very thought of allowing me to engage in this enterprise would fade from their minds. 12. I will also confess that the demon, availing himself of my natural dispositions and of my fears, has made great efforts to hinder this work by seeking to terrify and afflict me. He would no doubt have succeeded in keeping me from it if the zeal and persistence of my superiors had not counteracted my cowardice. In this persecution the Lord, the most pure virgin and the holy angels often took occasion to renew their enlightenment, their tokens and wonders. Nevertheless, in spite of all this, I deferred, or to speak more appropriately, I resisted this undertaking many years, I refused compliance, as I will describe further on, not having the boldness to attempt the execution of something so far above all my powers. And I believe that this was not without special providence of His Majesty, for in the course of those years so many things have happened to me, and I may say, 
so many mysterious and various difficulties intervened, that I would not have been able to preserve the tranquility and quiet of spirit, which is necessary for retaining the proper light and information. For not in all states of mind, though they are of the highest and most advanced, can the soul engage in that exalted activity which is necessary to correspond to such exquisite and delicate influences. In addition to this, there was still another reason, namely, during this protracted delay I could inform myself and assure myself of the truth of these things, not only by means of the new enlightenment, which grew as time passed on, and by the prudence which experience gives, but also by the persevering insistence of the Lord, of the holy angels and of my superiors, under whose obedience I lived. Likewise, an opportunity was given me to quiet my fears and misgivings, to overcome my cowardice and perplexity, and to trust that to the Lord which I would not trust to my weakness. 13. Confiding then in the great virtue of obedience, I resolved in the name of the Lord, and of my queen and mistress, to lay aside my reluctance. I call this virtue great, not only because by it the most noble activities and the faculties of a creature, namely the mind, the judgment and free will are offered as a holocaust to the Lord, but also because no other virtue ever assures success more unfailingly than obedience, for by it the creature then does not operate of itself alone, but also is an instrument of him that governs and commands. This was the assurance of Abraham, when he overcame the force of the natural love for his son Isaac, Genesis 22-3. And if it was sufficient for such an act, and sufficient to detain the sun and the heavens in their swift course, Joshua 10-13, it can certainly be sufficient to influence the movement of the earth. Perchance if the hand of Osa had been guided by obedience, he would perhaps not have been punished as presumptuous in touching the ark. Well do I know that I am more unworthy than Oza in stretching out my hand to touch, not the lifeless and figurative Ark of the Old Covenant, but the living Ark of the New Testament, which contained the manna of the divinity, the source of grace and the new law. But if I remain silent, I fear with good reason to disobey most high commands, and I could exclaim with Isaiah. Woe is me because I kept my peace. Isaiah 6 5. Therefore, O my queen and lady, it is better that thy benign goodness and mercy and the blessings of thy liberal hand should shine forth through my base and unworthy efforts, it is better that I should experience thy blessings in obeying thy commands than that I should fall into thy displeasure. It will be a work of thy clemency, O purest mother, to raise the poor from the earth and to execute through a weak and unfit instrument, a work so difficult for thereby you shall magnify your condescension and the graces which your most holy Son communicates to you. Moreover, you thereby shall exclude that deceitful presumption which might make us imagine that this work is accomplished by human efforts, or by earthly prudence, or by the force and authority of deep discussion. You thereby show, that by divine virtue you awaken anew the hearts of the faithful, drawing them toward you, you the fountain of kindness and mercy. Speak therefore, O lady, that your servant may hear with an ardent desire fully to obey you, 1 Kings 3:19. But how can my desires ever reach or equal my indebtedness? A befitting response on my part will be impossible, but if it were possible, I would desire to give it. O powerful and exalted queen, 
Fulfill your promises by manifesting to me your graces and attributes, in order that your greatness may be made known and heralded through the nations and generations. Speak, O lady, for your servant heareth, speak and magnify the Most High in the powerful and wonderful works, which his right hand performed for you in your most profound humility. Let them flow from the hollow of his hands filled with hyacinths into yours, Canticles 5:14, and from yours to your devout servants, in order that the angels may bless him, the just magnify him, and the sinners seek him. Let all of them see the example of your highest sanctity and purity, and by the grace of your most holy Son, let me be favored with this mirror and efficacious rule by which I can set my life in order. For this is to be the principal purpose and first object of my solicitude in writing your life. This you have repeatedly announced to me, condescending to offer me a living pattern and a mirror without flaw, in which I should see and according to which I should adorn my soul, so as to become worthy to be your daughter and the bride of your most holy Son. 14. This shall be my whole object and intention, and therefore I shall not write as a teacher, but as a disciple, not as one instructing, but as one trying to learn, knowing that it is the duty of women to be silent in the Holy Church, and to listen to the teachers, 1 Corinthians 14 34. But as an instrument of the Queen of Heaven I will declare what she deigns to teach me and whatever she commands me, for all the souls are capable of receiving the Spirit, which her Divine Son has promised to pour out over men of all conditions, Dual 228. The souls are also able to communicate it in a befitting manner, whenever a higher authority acting according to the dispensations of Christ's Church so disposes. I am now convinced that the Church has authorized this history through my superiors. That I should err is possible, and to an ignorant woman natural, but then I stumble while obeying and not acting of my own free will, thus I remit myself and subject myself to those who are my guides and to the correction of the Holy Catholic Church, to whose ministers I fly in all my difficulties. And I wish that my superior, teacher and confessor be a witness and a censor of this doctrine which I receive, and also a severe and vigilant judge of the manner in which I put it into practice, or fail in the fulfilling of the obligations consequent upon this blessing. 15. Pursuant to the will of the Lord and the command of obedience, I have written for the second time this heavenly history. For during the first writing of it, though the light by which I perceived the mysteries was abundant, and fruitful in proportion as my shortcomings were great, my tongue was unequal to the task of finding the proper terms, and my pen not swift enough for a full statement. I omitted some things, and with the lapse of time and by the aid of new enlightenments, I found myself better prepared to write it this second time. Nevertheless, there always remains much of what I understood and have seen, which I must leave unsaid, since to say all will never be possible. Besides these reasons, there was another known to me in the Lord, namely, that in my first writing my mind was much hindered from attending to the matter and arrangement of this work by my temptations and great fears. They raised such tempests of contrary thoughts and suggestions within me, that, deeming it the greatest presumption to have attempted such an arduous task, I concluded to burn it. And I believe that this did not happen without the permission of the Lord, 
for in the turbulence of my soul I could not present myself in a state entirely befitting and desirable to the Lord for writing and engraving into my heart and spirit his doctrine, as he commands me to do now, and as can be seen from the following event. 16. On one of the festival days of the purification of Our Lady, after having received the Most Holy Sacrament, I wished to celebrate this holy festival, which was the anniversary of my profession, with many acts of thanksgiving and of total resignation to the Most High, who without any merits of mine had chosen me as his spouse. While I was thus exciting these affections, I felt in my interior a most powerful change accompanied by abundant light which raised me and urged me strongly and sweetly toward the knowledge of the essence of God, His goodness perfections and attributes, and to the disclosing of my own misery, Wisdom 8-1. And these different things which were placed before my understanding at one and in the same time, produced in me various effects, the first was that all the attention of my mind and all my aspirations were raised on high, the other effect was, that I was humbled in mind to the very dust in such a way that, it seemed to take away my own existence. At the same time I felt the most vehement sorrow and contrition for my grievous sins, joined to the determination to amend and to renounce all worldly things, aspiring instead toward complete love of God. In these effects I remained as if annihilated, and the greatest pain seemed but consolation and death but life. The Lord having pity on my faintness, in sheer mercy, spoke to me. Be not dismayed my daughter and spouse. For in order to pardon, to wash, and to purify you from your sins, I will apply my infinite merits on the blood which I shed for you. Animate yourself to desire all perfection in imitation of the life of the Most Holy Mary. Write it a second time in order that you may supply what was wanting and impress her doctrines on your heart. Do not again irritate my justice, nor show yourself thankless for my mercy by burning what you shall have written, lest my indignation deprive you of the light which without your merits you have received for the manifestation of these mysteries. 17. I immediately thereupon saw the Mother of God, who also spoke to me. My daughter, as yet you have not derived becoming fruit for your soul from the tree of life, which was offered you in the writing of my history, nor did you enter into the substance of its contents. You have scarcely yet thought of this hidden manner, nor have you attained that perfect and ultimate preparation, which the Almighty requires, in order to engrave and imprint, in a proper manner, my virtues into your soul. I am to give you the befitting qualities and perfections for that which the divine right hand is to accomplish in you. I have asked him that, through my intercession and through the abundant graces conferred upon me, I be permitted to adorn you and compose your soul, so that you may turn again to the writing of my life with less attention to the material and more to the spiritual and substantial part of it. Remove the hindrances which oppose the currents of divine grace flowing to you from the Almighty through me and make yourself capable of readily accepting the full portion assigned to you by the divine will. See that you do not curtail or limit them by your shortcomings and imperfections. Thereupon I saw that the Divine Mother clothed me in a garment whiter than the snow and more shining than the sun. And she girded me with a most precious girdle and said, 
This is a participation of my purity. I also asked for the infused science of the Lord, which would serve me as most beautiful hair for my adornment and for other precious gifts and presents, the value of which I saw and knew was great, but which I was not able fully to estimate. After having thus adorned me, the heavenly lady said, Work faithfully and earnestly to imitate me and to be my most perfect daughter, engendered of my spirit, nourished at my breast I give you my blessing, in order that in my name and under my direction and assistance, you may again resume your writing. 18. The whole of this holy life of Mary is divided, for greater perspicuity, into three parts. The first treats of all that pertains to the first fifteen years of her life, from the moment of her most pure conception, until the moment when in her virginal womb, the eternal word assumed flesh, including all that the Most High performed for Mary during these years. The second part embraces the mystery of the Incarnation, the whole life of Christ our Lord, His Passion and Death, and His Ascension into Heaven, thus describing the life of our Queen in union with that of her Divine Son and all that she did while living with Him. The third part contains the life of the Mother of Grace during the time she lived alone, deprived of the companionship of Christ our Redeemer, until the happy hour of her transition, Assumption and Crowning as the Empress of Heaven, where she is to live eternally as the Daughter of the Father, the Mother of the Son and the Spouse of the Holy Ghost. These three parts I subdivided into eight books, in order that they may be more convenient for use and always remain the subject of my thoughts, the spur of my will and my meditation day and night. 19. In order to say something of the time in which I wrote this heavenly history, it must be noticed that my father, brother Francis Coronel, and my mother, sister Catherine de Arana, my parents, founded in their own house this convent of the Discalced Nuns of the Immaculate Conception by the command and the will of God, which was declared to my mother, Sister Catherine, in a special vision and revelation. This foundation took place on the octave of the Epiphany, January 13, 1619. On the same day my mother and her two daughters took the habit. And my father took refuge in the order of our seraphic father St. Francis, in which two of his sons had already been living as religious. There he took the habit, made his profession, lived an exemplary life, and died a most holy death. My mother and myself received the veil on the day of the purification of the Queen of Heaven, on the 2nd of February, 1620. On account of the youth of the other daughter her profession was delayed. The Almighty in His sheer goodness favored our family so much, that all of us were consecrated to him in the religious state. In the eighth year of the foundation of this convent, in the twenty-fifth of my age, in the year of our Lord 1627, holy obedience imposed upon me the office of abbess, which to this day I unworthily hold. During the first ten years of the time in which I held this office, I received many commands from the Most High and from the Queen of Heaven to write her holy life, and I continued in fear and doubt to resist these heavenly commands during all that time until the year 1637, when I began to write it the first time. On finishing it, being full of fears and tribulations, and being so counseled by a confessor, who directed me during the absence of my regular confessor, 
I burned all the writing containing not only this history, but many other grave and mysterious matters, for he told me that women should not write in the church. I obeyed his commands promptly, but I had to endure most severe reproaches on this account from my superiors and from the confessor, who knew my whole life. In order to force me to rewrite this history, they threatened me with censures. The Most High and the Queen of Heaven also repeated their commands that I obey. During this second writing, so abundant was the light concerning the divine essence, so copious were the blessings of the divine right hand for the renewal and vivification of my soul and the teachings of my Heavenly Mother, so perfect were the instructions and so exalted were the sacraments communicated to me, that it was necessary to write an other book in connection with this history, the title of which will be, Laws of the Spouse, Heights of His Divine Love and Fruits Gathered from the Tree of Life of Most Holy Mary, Our Lady. By divine favor I begin rewriting this history on the 8th of December, 1655, on the day of the Immaculate Conception.